Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plough iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ears received the whisper of it amid thoughts from visions of the night. When deep falls on men, dread came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face, the hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence, then I heard a voice. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Between morning and evening they are beaten for pieces. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die? And that was without wisdom. Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety and they are crushed in the gate and there is no one to deliver them. The hungry eats his harvest and he takes it even out of thorns and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust. Nor does trouble sprout from the ground, but a man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvellous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty, so their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope at noonday as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword of their mouth, and from the hand of the mighty, so the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves, therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine, you shall laugh and shall not fear the beasts of the earth. For you shall be in league with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. 
You shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall know that your offering shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in ripe old age, like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear and know it for your good. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass, or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfil my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me, when resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential streams that pass away, which are dark with ice and where the snow hides itself. When they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course. They go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of Tima look, the travellers of Sheba hope. They are ashamed because they are confident. They come there and are disappointed. For you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Have I said make me a gift? Or from your wealth offer a bribe for me? Or deliver me from the adversary's hand? Or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless? Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. How forceful are upright words, but what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think you, you can pr- reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. But now, be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn. Let no injustice be done. Turn now. My vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? Uh, Sam has prayed for us, um, so we're going to crack on. Um, we assume we know what job, uh, God's job description is, don't we? What's God's job description? Well, we think it's bless those who do good and punish those who do evil. Fairly straightforward, fairly simple. One, one job to do, God. That's your job. Bless those who do good and punish those who do evil. Um, there's a way that it's described here in Dagenham. You might have heard this before. I actually looked it up and found out the origin of it, but it's this. God pays debts without money. You heard that before? You ever heard that before? Has anyone ever said that to you, I guess, or about someone else? God pays debts without money. That's the same thing, isn't it? Um, the same sentiment, God, it's your job to dish out good for those who do good and to dish out bad or ill for those who do evil and this is actually I think as I thought about it that 
It's why we say that there is no God. Or why we don't believe there is a God. Because if that's his job description, then you look around and you think, well, there's loads of evil that's going unchallenged. There's loads of good people who are suffering. That's all the evidence I would ever need to back up my hunch. There is no God. So it's, 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 it does prove what we think. But is it the right assumption? Is that God's job description? If, we, if there is a God, we might expect what he is like to be more than we would expect. If there is a God, we might expect what he is actually like to be more than we would expect. That is for him to surprise us with who he is and what he's like. Or even blow our assumptions about him out of the water entirely. We have to be open to that, don't we? He's God. As we sang before, we're humans. You know, we limited. We prayed, we're limited in our understanding. The Bible um, doesn't claim to be a moral handbook. Lots of people think that the Bible's a moral handbook. That, by that I mean it will just tell me how to live a good life. These things are good, these things are bad. Over to you. And yet actually it claims to be more than that. It claims to be the word of God. God's very words. And it actually claims to be what God has decided to reveal about himself. Yes, it came through the agency of humans. That's how it came to us. But it is his uncensored word. And as such, it, can, it is what we can truly know about him. We can be sure of what it says about him. But it is what he wants us to know about him. And so what that means is whenever we open up any part of God's word, it is going to tell us what he is like. And the example of Job's sufferings is no exception. It actually does. In terms of this assumption about God, it blows it out of the water, doesn't it? Because here we have one man who is innocent, and yet he goes through the most immense suffering. An example that really doesn't fit with our job description. Here's one man who is innocent and yet he goes through the most immense suffering. It really doesn't fit with that job description, does it? God's job, dish out the the good for good people, dish out the bad for bad people. Um, We'll just do a quick recap for those who haven't been here. We're in Job, the book of Job. We're only three chapters in and now we've just done three more. So we've doubled our progress. Um, We might even do three more next week. Who who knows? Wow. Uh, It took us three weeks to do three chapters. But um, the brief summary of those chapters is this. Job is innocent. Job had everything. God allowed Satan to take everything that Job had. And that's what he did. And now Job wants to die. You heard a bit of that in his response. Job wants to die. And he's got that question of why. Why? Why has this happened? Now you're joining at this crucial point where three of Job's friends have travelled, they've pitched up to, and they want to help. They do want to help Job. Why would they come to all that trouble if they didn't want to help him? That just wouldn't make sense, would it? When they saw Job in the in chapter, end of chapter 2, just before he spoke, they waited seven days and seven nights in silence. On the ground with him. So they've been silent 
and respectfully so, I think, up until this point. But now that they've heard what Job had to say in chapter 3, they've heard Job speak about his situation, there is a lot that they think Job needs to hear. And by a lot, I mean a lot. Okay? Between chapters 4 and chapter 39-ish, is like the, if this was a sandwich, if this book was a sandwich, it's the meaty filling, okay? It's like, it's going to take quite a while for us to get from chapter 4 all the way through to chapter 39. But all of that is a conversation that the friends have with their friend, Job, and Job's response to them. Um, we're, we're not to think that they're trying to be unkind to Job. As I said, they wouldn't have come if they didn't think they were trying to help. Um, as Eliphaz speaks first, which we jump back to chapter 4. Eliphaz is sort of the representative of the three. As he speaks first, the first thing he says is, um, Job, you've helped others in this situation. You've strengthened their weak knees. You've upheld their stumbling and made firm their feeble knees. Job, you've helped others. The implication is, I'm here to help you. In the same way. So Job's friends aren't here to help. They clearly want to help. And yet. This is it. They do Job great harm. They want to help. And yet they do him great harm. So it's what went wrong. (laughs) They thought they were being an encouragement. They're actually adding insult to injury. What, What went wrong? What is it about what we've just heard him say, uh, Eliphaz, that is so wrong? I did ask that question um, on the WhatsApp chat beforehand. Um, I didn't put it that way. I said, go through and tick everything that you think you could agree with about what Eliphaz says. And it's quite a bit. It's quite a bit you could agree with. So what, why does it do Job great harm? We're going to be thinking about that question. And we're going to be answer, answering that question from... A sort of more general look at what the friends, what their worldview is, or what their view of God is. And then we're going to be looking at some examples from this speech. And so that's all we're going to do, is we're going to look at what generally they think about God. And then we're going to look at some examples of that in this particular speech. I'm not going to go back through the whole thing. But we're just going to pick out some bits that show that that's what Eliphaz is thinking, right? Is everyone okay with that? Great. Um, here we go. This is the friends. This is just generally speaking what they believe. Should we do it? Five things. God is absolutely in control. God is absolutely just and fair. Therefore, God always punishes wickedness and blesses righteousness. Punishes the bad, blesses the good that people do. Here and now. Fifth thing, fourth thing, that means that suffering is always a just punishment from God. So when someone suffers, it's a just punishment from God. This is what they're saying. Okay? Job suffers, Job has sinned. So if you follow the logic, everyone got that? How do we know that's wrong? Okay, this is their neat and tidy the- theology, view of God. It is neat and tidy, isn't it? We can do it in five steps. There's no need for a, another page. You know, it's neat and tidy. 
So what, what is wrong about what's on the page there? What do we know from the book of Job that is wrong? Anyone? Number four, okay. Who do you think is number four? You've got to vote, okay. What do we absolutely know, definitely know, or what have we been told already in the book of Job? Which one do we know from the book of Job is wrong? Okay, why do we know the last one's wrong, Bethan? Okay, the conclusion here is Job has sinned. We've been told, haven't we, in chapter 1, Job is innocent. He's blameless. Doesn't mean he's never sinned, but he's repented. There's nothing that is on his account that God needs to dish out to him. Um, He has been forgiven. He's a Christian. So if we know that this bit is wrong, that their conclusion is wrong, then something in the rest of it must be wrong. Do you get it? If what this leads to is a conclusion that is wrong, then it must be something about the argument that's wrong. So which bit of the argument is wrong? Number four. four. Okay. And a little bit of number three. Okay, right. Who, the Bible teaches that God is absolutely in control. Yeah? The Bible teaches that God is absolutely just and fair. Yeah? The Bible teaches that he always punishes wickedness and blesses righteousness. Yeah? Here and now. Okay? And that means that the rest of what they say is wrong. And what they're saying about Job is wrong. Let's have a look at it um, from what Eliphaz says. Um, Let me just pick out a few verses to show you that that's what he's saying. Basically, he's saying, because this is true, because this is always true here and now, then it must be, in your case, Job, that you've sinned. Um, Let me show you. Um, In, this is Eliphaz, verse 7 to verse 8. Let's read that. Remember... Who that was innocent ever perished, or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plough iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So he's calling on three things as proof of his theory, okay? The first thing he's calling on, the first person he's calling on is Job. He's saying, Job, remember, you know this. He's actually calling on Job, saying, you know this. This is true. This is, this is how it works. Um, so that's the first one. The second thing he calls on is his, his experience. In verse 8, he says, As I have seen those who plough iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Well, that is true on some occasions, isn't it? <laughs> but as a general every time thing, well, you'd question it, wouldn't you? But he still calls on his experience. And then, interestingly, he calls on a spiritual experience. Um, If you look down with me at verse 12 through to 21. Hello. Hi. Um, We're in Job chapter 4. If you look down with me at verses 12 through to the end of that chapter. There's this, as Sam read it, there's this sort of description of an experience, a spiritual experience he's had. 
And it, he, he really hams it up. He really builds it up and says, you know, like, oh, it was the spirit was passing by my face. I couldn't discern its, its appearance. You know, the suspense is there all the way up to the end of verse 16. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. And you think, oh, wow. Wow, this voice is going to reveal something that we don't know. This voice is going to be, reveal something specific to Job's situation that will just uncrack the whole thing and, and fix all his questions and answer all his questions. And yet you get two more questions. So in verse, if you look down with me at verse 17, there's two questions there. First question is this. Can mortal man be right before God? Second question is, can a man be pure before his maker? It's the same question, just put two different ways, isn't it? So there is this sort of odd thing, isn't it? Like this, wow, this amazing spiritual experience. This amazing build-up. And then it's a, oh, can we be right before God? Is the actual revelation. I think you could answer that question, right? I think anyone in the Bible could answer that question. And yet it's sort of being put forward as being this great, amazing thing, knowledge, spiritual experience that is just so overwhelmingly true. So Eliphaz is doing the same thing. And what he's doing is he's saying, my, my theory or my view of God, that he dishes out bad to bad people and good to good people, you just can't argue with it, Job. You know this to be true. I've seen it in the world around me, and I'm going to share you this spiritual experience, which is going to clinch it, apparently. So it's weird, isn't it? It's weird to have all of these things that he's sort of building up such a big case for. And yet we know, don't we, that his conclusion is wrong. Because Job is not sinful. He is not suffering because of sin. Um, in the next um, part, um, by the way, that un- that, those unanswered questions, just, just remember those questions because they're quite crucial, aren't they? They're crucial for two reasons. It shows that Eliphaz, for all of his human wisdom and, and religion, doesn't actually know the answer to those questions. Can a mortal man be right before God? Can someone be pure before their maker? He doesn't know those answers. And, um, and hold on to that because that is what we need to know today. That's what we need to know is the answer to that question. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, but we've got a bit more of Eliphaz to look at. Um, so he's saying, listen to me. I've got these amazing wise things to tell you, things you need to know, Job. Um, and this is, this is what he shared with him in chapter 4. Chapter 5, he turns to advice. So chapter 5, chapter 4 is theory. I've got some teaching for you, Job. Chapter 5 is advice, what you need to do. Let's have a look down at it. Um, it says, if I were you, Job, is what I've called it. Um, but it starts off, call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? If you read down with me to verse 2, it says, to which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple. The first thing he tells Job to do, essentially, is don't be a fool. To argue 
Eliphaz says to argue against this system of God doing good to good people and God doing bad to bad people, if you're arguing against that, it's a system which won't change for you, Job. So don't be a fool. If you are going to be vexed about it in verse 2, or jealous of others, well then you're simple, you're a fool. So he sort of of says to him, like, you, you can't even... You can't even ask the questions you're asking without being like a fool. So that's what he says. If I were you, Job, don't be a fool. Um, he also says, seek God. Which sounds like a very pious thing to say, isn't it? You know, seek God. Um, and actually what he says about God in these verses, verse 8, as for me, I would seek God, all the way down to verse 16, to say the poor have hope and injustice shuts their mouth. What he says about God is true. (laughs) God who does great things and unsearchable, marvellous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety and frustrates the devices of the crafty. He captures the wise in their craftiness. Everything he says about God is true. So he's got, he sort of knows some true things about God but doesn't know that mortal man can be right before their maker, before his maker. So it shows, doesn't it, you can know a lot of right things about God, but get him completely wrong. Lots of religions, which are man-made, would say a lot of right things about God. He is just, he is fair, he is good, you know, he does these things, he rules over everything, he is sovereign. They'd say those things about God, And this is exactly what he says. He says, seek God, because God humbles the proud, and he's making the point that Job is proud. Job thinks he knows more than God by even asking the questions that he's asking. Um, So go back to God, seek God, and somehow God is going to do good things for you. The last thing he says in the last uh, third of this chapter, the third thing he says, I should say, is from 17 to the end of the chapter. The third thing he says is this. See God's rebuke as his kindness. He will heal you. So that's what he tells, that's his advice to Job. Is see God's rebuke as kindness. He says, behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Yeah? Three things he tells Job to do. If I were you, Job, don't be a fool. Don't question this. This is how the world works. This is how the universe operates. Who are you to ask for an exception? All people are sinful. They can't be right before God. Therefore, that means that we should all be getting it in the neck. And this is just your bit. This is just your portion, Job. God disciplines you, but, you know, he he will heal you. So that's how it expresses itself, that first thing we looked at how it expresses itself in Eliphaz. And actually, Eliphaz is the most encouraging of the three. (laughs) The most gentle and sensitive of the three. As soon as Job doesn't give in, doesn't give in to what they're saying, things are going to get a lot worse. They're going to really try to pull him down. And the other friends are going to go at him. But but Eliphaz is the... um, Eliphaz is a 
gentle, kind man. He's saying, this is my advice to you, Job. He says at the end there, he says um, in, in the end of verse five, chapter 5, Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear and know it for your good. Yeah? Well, we know that the friends are wrong. We know that Eliphaz is wrong because if they are saying the conclusion of all this is that Job is sinful, he's sinned, then they must be wrong. And they've got before them, standing before them, an innocent man who is suffering and they'd much rather deny that evidence than change their religious system because they're so stuck in what they think they know. And it is a a real eye-opener, isn't it, to see that they are blind. They think they know. They think that Job needs to know something from them. But actually, he doesn't even know. They don't even know. Um, And they should be listening to him, in fact. Um, So let's hear hear from Job now um, in chapter 6. There's two halves to this as well. Job answers them in chapter 6. He talks to them directly. And then in chapter 7, he's going to talk to God. So that's the difference between chapter 6 and 7. Job answered in chapter 6, verse 1. This is what he's going to say. You're wrong about me, and therefore you're wrong about God. Quite simply, you're wrong about me. I'm innocent, and so you're wrong about God. Job answered them and said, "Um, If I am vexed, it would be great if it was weighed. (laughs) You said that I shouldn't be vexed. Um, that means you know, frustrated or, or worried. But if, if that was weighed, at least then we would see that ev- all my calamity is heavier than the sand of the sea. And then he makes this kind of ironic comment, therefore my words have been rash. <laughs> you know what that means. If my words have been rash, I've spoken too quickly. I shouldn't have said what I said. But he's, he's being ironic. <laughs> he's, saying, he's, he's being sarcastic. It's the kind of sarcasm um, that you'd expect from someone who is hurting deeply and yet they've got to suffer these people who are trying to give them advice. Do you know what I mean? Like if you've, if you've just had something happen to you and someone comes along and says, it's all right, mate, you know, pick yourself up. You'd expect some kind of sarcastic answer or something like that. It's nothing. What do you mean it's nothing? You know, that kind of answer. And that's exactly how Job speaks, because he's frustrated with them. Um, he basically says three thing, uh, two things. He says, in verse 10, he says, I have not denied the words of the Almighty, so I've done nothing wrong. I've not spoken out of turn. And then he, he puts it to them, and he says, if you know so much, in verse 24, make me understand how I've gone astray, because you claim to know so much, You claim to have all this wisdom. You can't tell me what I've done wrong. If you know so much, if you know that I'm wrong, then why don't you just tell me what what I've done wrong? That would be useful to know. He says this in, um, where does it say, teach me? Um, Towards the end of chapter 6. Verse 24, teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. How forceful are upright words. But what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your own, your own friend. 
Job doesn't really correct their wrong theology. He doesn't say, I'm going to do a Bible study and show you how you're wrong. <laughs> he doesn't do that. All he does is, say, is, is maintains his innocence. And that is enough to undermine their whole system. <laughs> if, he, if he's standing there saying, I'm innocent. No, 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 you've got to get me. I'm innocent. No, 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 no. I know you think I'm wrong. I'm, I'm innocent. Then it undermines everything that they believe. Because it's an exception to their rule. They can't, you know. So all Job does is simply maintain his innocence. And yet, I think we need to think this a bit through because the temptation here is for us to say, hey, that kind of thinking, the Eliphaz way of thinking, the friend's way of thinking is just not our way of thinking. It's to say that um, that belongs in the kind of prosperity teaching that we think, oh, that is, you know, that's where this kind of way of thinking is. But actually, I think it slips into our own way of thinking. Um, I'm going to give you some examples. I gave you the first one um, at the start where it said, God pays debts without money. Um, we might say when someone, something bad happens to someone, he had it coming to him. We might say the opposite of someone we like and we think they're a good person. They didn't deserve this. It's the same thing, just the, the other side of it. Almost that the deserving of it is what caused it. <laughs> Or the not deserving of it is what shouldn't have caused it. Um, there's a song you will, well, probably a bit old now, but I'm looking at the room. I think the age range is probably right. Um, Travis? Travis, everyone? No? Anyone heard this song? Why does it always, why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? Right? I mean, that's a laughable example isn't it because rain isn't that much of a judgment or like a, a suffering um but still it makes the same point doesn't it some kind of connection between what i'm doing and something that happens and and that's god's job you know god is just dishing out the bad stuff and dishing out the good stuff and actually this shows us that if we get god wrong in this respect it's not just wrong it's actually pretty cruel it's cruel. It's cruel on Job. Job is a suffering, grieving man, and he's being made to defend himself. This worldview, this way of thinking about God, is not just wrong, it's cruel. Because you've got a man who is utterly despairing, and yet he is the, having to throw off the false guilt that they're putting on him. So it's cruel to think like this. It's dishonest about the world around us, isn't it? Because um, for every case you can think of, of someone who probably deserved what was coming to them, you could think of loads of cases of people who it just happened randomly or it seemed to not have any reason for happening, um, the cancer that comes to someone. Um, it's, this kind of way of thinking about God is wrong. And actually, we know it's wrong already. We know it's wrong because Job has not sinned. We've been told that. But we also know it's wrong because of the cross. Because that question of, uh, that, he, that Eliphaz asks, um, oh, at the very start of his speech, when has a, who that is innocent has ever perished? <laughs> who that was innocent has ever perished? 
Jesus. Jesus. He was innocent, and yet he perished. And that shows that there is, within the world that God has made, this category for redemptive suffering. That's the suffering that actually God uses to bring him glory and to redeem humanity. So if our way of thinking about God doesn't include the cross, or actually makes the cross out to be heretical, (laughs) then see to it that our, our view of God is wrong, not the cross. It's not that the cross is wrong, and that that's that should never have happened. It's that we're thinking about God wrong. And that's why I started with that thing about the Bible, because either the Bible's right, well, it is right. And God is the one who has the right to say something about who he is. And so if our way of thinking about him is not, is not in line with that, then we need to get with his program rather than him getting with ours. Um. And yet that is a wonderful thing because there is this hope that Job knows and that we can know the answer to those questions. When was it that an innocent man has ever perished? Who that was innocent ever perished? We can know the answer to Job's mysterious questions. Um, Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? What's the answer? Yes, yes, he can be. Of course he can be. And he can only be be right before his maker or pure if there is one who is pure, who is willing to take their place, to take the punishment for sin, so that they could be right with God. And what that means for Christians is that suffering now as a Christian is not a punishment for sin. Jesus can't pay the punishment on the cross for sin past, present and future. And then somehow Christians also need to sort of, a bit like the insurance policy, you almost need to top it up a little bit with your suffering. That somehow you have to pay for your, your sin again. That would just be weird, wouldn't it? Um, so what are we to make of our sufferings when they come? As Christians, what are we to make of them? You suffer, I will suffer, we will suffer. What are we to think about our sufferings? If they're not, not God's punishment for our sin, God's judgment on us, then what what are they and why is God still allowing them to happen? Well, Paul can say in 1 Corinthians, he can say that, um, sorry, in Colossians, that my suffering is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Paul can say of his sufferings that they are filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. And there's something about that that we don't know exactly how God is doing that, but that the suffering of believers is actually serving God's purposes to redeem others and for the sake of his body, the church, to actually serve the church. We don't know exactly how he's doing that. So I'm not authorised to say, oh, that's exactly how your suffering is, is achieving this. But there is something wonderful about suffering of, of Christians that we can know that it does have a purpose in God, God's purposes. We don't know exactly how, but it is serving his purposes, just in the same way that Paul's sufferings were, just in the same way that Jesus' sufferings were.
Um, so why don't I pray, uh, pray for us um, in this uh, to, to, get, to get God right on this. Um, that we would, knowing that God is the one who redeems through an innocent man's suffering, that we would know how our relationship with, with him is to be, even in the face of suffering. Uh, that we wouldn't think God is judging us when suffering comes. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that you are um, so loving and good. Thank you that your words are true. Thank you that though we could never figure out um, in a million years what you were like, that you have revealed what you were like to us uh, through your son. Thank you that the cross, the innocent man who laid down his life, really is the expression of who you are. That is the essence of who you are. And please, would we not move away from that and think we've got our own ideas about you? Would you help us to think rightly about suffering, about our own suffering, about the suffering of others? And please, would you save us from being those who try to bring comfort and and yet do great harm? Uh, please, we'd be, we'd be willing to say um, some things that are true, but then leave the explanation to you. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>